Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, we're reading today and for the next five weeks from Paul's wonderful letter to the Ephesians. It's one of the great texts in the New Testament and one that serves to sum up the Christian story. Why do we love stories so much? Well, stories can entertain us and divert us, but in the deeper sense, stories serve to contextualize and make sense of our lives. When the events of our lives can be discerned as part of a coherent pattern, we tend to find peace and purpose. That's why, by the way, we always tell our kids stories of our family. You know, it defines them, tells them who they are. Just a few days ago on the 4th of July, there were a lot of stories told about America, the birth of the country, these great people that gathered in that hot room in Philadelphia and voted for the Declaration of Independence. That story tells us who we are as a nation and perhaps most importantly, where we fit in now, what sense we make of our lives as Americans now. In the initiation rituals of primal peoples, the telling of the tribal story is indispensable. It tells people in the tribe how they fit in the story of that tribe and the story of the cosmos. You know, one problem that besets us in our modern contemporary society is that we've bracketed a lot of our stories. In fact, one way to describe our current situation is to say, we are those people who stubbornly make up our own stories. We choose who we are. Well, you know what that leads to? That leads to a sense of rootlessness and drift. When you can't be situated within an overarching narrative, your life loses its purpose, its meaning. Well, for Christians, the Bible is our great story. The Bible, taken in its totality, tells us in the richest sense who we are, where we've come from, where we're going, what part we're supposed to play. And that's why we read the Bible so obsessively in our prayer, our liturgy, at the Mass, why we sing it, read it, Meditate upon it. The Bible's the great story. We find ourselves now in relation to it. Well, as I mentioned now, we're reading from Paul to the Ephesians. We'll do so from now until the end of the summer. It's one of the clearest evocations of the great story. And so it tells us who we are. Listen to how Paul begins this great letter. He says, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, the most important element in the great story is the central character. And the central character is God. But the story will tell us who the true God is. Look, there are lots of gods. There are lots of stories and accounts and philosophical presentations of God. We Christians believe that the true God is the one who was disclosed in and through Jesus Christ, the God and Father of Jesus. We believe that the true God is the one whose dealings with the human race reached a kind of climax in the work and person of Jesus. But look, to say Jesus Christ is to say at the same time the whole biblical narrative, for he makes sense only against that great background. Now we get into the story. What is this biblical narrative that reaches its fulfillment and climax in Jesus Christ? Think of it as a five-act drama. Like a great Shakespearean play, Shakespeare's plays always have five acts. The first act is creation. God made the world and everything in it, and he found it good, indeed very good. He created a garden that's symbolic of the beauty, harmony, purpose behind God's creation. Within the garden, he places human beings. His desire is that we would live in friendship with him and with each other in justice and peace and compassion. Friendship with God, friendship with each other within the context of God's beautiful creation. That's act one of the drama. What do we learn now from this act? We biblical people, we're not dualists or materialists. We don't think the world came about as a result of dumb chance or dumb luck. We live in the theater of God's glory. We live in this beautiful, harmonious creation, and we're meant to be in right relationship with it and with each other and with God. That's act one. Act two, something went wrong. The Bible calls it the fall. Through a prideful and fearful grasp at divinity, we introduced violence, hatred, division, and injustice into the world. This caused us now, in the symbolic language of the book of Genesis, to be expelled from the garden. It means things are not the way God intended them. It means we're not living in the relationship that God desired for us. All this negativity which came from pride and from fear now infects our relationships and infects God's creation. One thing I've said to you before is, We biblical people do not believe in schemas of perfectibility. We don't think that economic and political and cultural change and psychological development will make everything fine. No, no, we believe in the fall. 
We believe in the power of this event that has compromised us in a basic way. Put Act 1 and Act 2 together. We believe in creation in all of its goodness and beauty and integrity. And we believe in the fall. That leads to Act 3 in the great drama. God was not satisfied with this situation. God was not happy with sin and injustice and division. And so he sets about on a great rescue operation. He forms a people. He chooses Abraham. He makes a covenant with him, a promise that he would be his God, that Abraham would be the father of a great nation who would be a people peculiarly God's own. To this people, Israel, God sends a series of teachers, prophets, lawgivers, kings, saints, and sinners. He gives them the law by which they should live, the law that would restore them to the right worship of God. What he's doing now in Act 3 of the drama is he's forming a people who have as their mission to be the light to the nations. Through this special people, Israel, God would draw all the nations back into harmony, back into peace and justice and righteousness. He would restore the beauty of his creation. But one of the central tragedies in the biblical narrative is that this people failed again and again to live up to its identity and purpose. They fell again and again into sin, into idolatry, and so did not fulfill their mission to be the gathering force, the true light of the world. And so we come to Act 4. God sends his only son. God so loved the world that he sent his only son that those who believe in him might find eternal life in his name. As both divine and human, Jesus is in his own person the fulfillment of the law. What Israel was meant to be from the beginning is now realized in Jesus. He is in his own person, the friendship between divinity and humanity. What was lost at Eden, what was lost through the fall, is now restored in him. And therefore, his mission is the mission of Israel, to be, as he himself said, the light of the world, to be the shepherd of the nations, to be the gatherer of the tribes of the world. How did he do this? Through the event of the cross, where Jesus, in the most unexpected way, takes on the darkness of the world, takes all of it upon himself, and lures it out into the open so that it might be absorbed by the divine forgiveness. In this, he conquers the evil of the world and shows the way forward shows himself as the light to the nations. And this inaugurates the final act of the drama. The act, by the way, in which we find ourselves not simply as spectators, but as actors.
Act 5 is the emergence of the church. The Holy Spirit of Jesus rushes upon the apostles of Pentecost, making them into Christ's mystical body, making them now the means by which Christ's salvation will be carried to the nations. We, members of the church, baptized into Christ Jesus, now participate in the great story. Friends, it's against this rich narrative background that we should read Paul to the Ephesians. Now listen to the next couple lines. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. As he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blemish before him, in love he destined us for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ in accord with the favor of his will. That's the drama, the last act. And friends, those are our marching orders. We've been drawn by God's grace into adoption. We are now sons and daughters in the Son. Our purpose, to be this mystical body, which will be the light of the nations. Our purpose is to participate in the great theodrama. We now participate in God's work of bringing justice and peace and harmony, restoring the beauty of his creation. Listen, tell this story to your children. Tell this story to your grandchildren. Pass this great drama on and let them know in the deepest and richest sense who they are and what they have to do. We're part of this theodrama. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.